The Cannabis Sells Me Podcast, episode 105. You're listening to the Cannabis Heals Me podcast, where we explore the real stories of real people who have discovered the profound healing properties of the cannabis plant in their own lives. Find more at CannabisHealsMe.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. This is your host, Rachel Kennerly, and we're coming to you once again from the Storybook Inn Studios. We are back with our second episode of the week. I really hope you guys enjoyed Monday's show. And we're actually going to tee off of our subject on Monday regarding vaccines with an episode today. And before you get completely terrified and turn the show off immediately, let me go ahead and remind you to click the subscribe button so that you will always get the latest episode of the Cannabis Hills Me podcast downloaded to your device, to your computer to your phone, to whatever it is you're using to access this podcast. While you're out there subscribing, we would certainly appreciate a rating and a review. And the reason I always ask you to do this, and those of you who are regular listeners to the Cannabis Hills Me podcast already know why I ask you to do this every week, and you're probably repeating it back to me right now, but if you're new to the show, if you're new to podcasts in general, the reason I'm asking you to give us a rating or review is because that boosts the algorithms of whatever podcast app you're using, and the podcast app will actually recommend our show to other people who are listening to similar type programs. So rating and reviewing the show is a free way for you to get information out about the podcast. And if you leave us a review, I will be happy to read that review on the air. Another thing I would love for you to do is go out and subscribe to our email newsletter list. If you go out to CannabisHealsMe.com slash subscribe, you will be able to put in your email address, hit the enter button, and you'll get signed up for our email newsletter. Now, don't worry. I am not going to send you 50 spam emails every day. You will get maybe one or two or three a week at the most. Sometimes I send zero because I am short on hours and long on my to-do list. But when we do send those out, it's a little short. Hey, this is the episode that's up. Occasionally, we'll email you about maybe some important legislation that maybe you should know about so that you can take action on it. And the reason we do it through the email list is because the social media apps have a tendency to suppress cannabis-related content. If it's something important that we want to get directly to you without having to worry about Facebook or Instagram or Twitter suppressing that information, the email newsletter list is the best way to do that. So go out to CannabisHillsMe.com subscribe. Now I mentioned previously that today's episode is going to kind of tee off our episode on Monday. And our guest for Monday, Sarah, had an injury from a vaccine, which caused her dysautonomia, which has caused her a lifetime of medical problems. And one of the major themes of this show is bodily autonomy and being able to choose what we put on our body. In regards to the subject of vaccines, there's a push, which to me as a liberty-minded person is a little disturbing to see that there's a push by government to mandate or force people to inject things either into themselves or into the bodies of their own children. 
with no regard for the fact that sometimes vaccines do cause injury, like to our guest Sarah. Her doctor told her, you should never, ever get another vaccine. And he also recommended that she not vaccinate her child because of her past history with vaccines. But in some states like New York and California and New Jersey, your ability to opt out of vaccines is actually being removed. You don't have that option anymore if you want your child to attend any sort of school or daycare or anything like that. So I invited Brittany Schaefer on to talk to us about this subject. Brittany is a longtime libertarian journalist, and she lives in California, which is where some of these mandates are being enforced on the population. So it's really hitting close to home. Actually, it's hitting exactly at home for her. So I invited her on to talk to us about this subject from a liberty-based perspective and just try to strip away the emotion that tends to rise up whenever you talk about vaccines or questioning vaccines and their efficacy and their safety and just strip it down to the bare bones like we do with cannabis, looking at the issue of vaccines from the perspective of medical freedom, and bodily autonomy. So we're hoping to strip out the emotion and talk about this from a purely natural rights, bodily autonomy perspective. I'd love to hear your feedback on it. I'm sure this is kind of a contentious issue. And so I do kind of expect to get feedback. And if you want to send me an email, podcast at CannabisHillsMe.com, I'd love to hear from you. I am joined today by Brittany Schaefer, correct? Yes. Okay, I didn't, I didn't want to mispronounce yeah, your last name. Great. And it's Brittany, not Brittany. It is. That's right, Brittany. Brittany, I wanted to have you on because on Monday's episode, I spoke to a lady who had a vaccine injury as a child. And so I wanted to kind of tee off of her story and how she uses cannabis to cope with this dysautonomia from vaccine injury and just talk about the issue of vaccines and not necessarily approach it from a science basis, because I'm still a little fuzzy on the science part of it. And if you go out there and you look at statistics, you can look at this statistic to prove what you want to think. So I wanted to approach it more from a libertarian perspective where we talk about maybe bodily autonomy and medical freedom or informed consent, because I think that's at the heart of what's going on in the vaccine industry. And I had heard you on a podcast with Bob Murphy talking about some stuff that's going on in California and New York and New Jersey about some vaccine mandates. And so my friend reached out to you and said, hey, would you like to come on and talk about this? And here we are. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, yeah, that that is sort of what's at the heart of it. And um, I you know, I can talk about the science if it comes up, mm -hmm. but I think really the the core issue here is bodily autonomy. So where where those two sort of cross over is um, a lot of people are taken in by the herd immunity argument, which I've plenty of people have knocked down and have have sort of explained why that doesn't make any sense. But what what I'll say without without going into sort of the faulty science of that is just, you know, you don't have a right to other people's biome. You don't have a right to dictate what germs are in another person. And to me, it all comes down to a question of, of private property. You know, first of all, do you own yourself? Are you, are you in charge of making decisions over your own body, um, over your children's bodies? 
and then where it becomes where the only place it becomes a challenge is then when you go out into the world and you're interacting with other people. And this is such a great example to me of how private property kind of gets rid of the whole problem. Because if there were absolutely no commons, if there were no public spaces that weren't owned by by some entity making decisions, then every single business, every single school, every home, every every entity would be deciding for themselves, you know, am I comfortable with the risk of having, you know, having someone with full-blown Ebola coming into my hospital or into my place of work? And that's a decision that the property owner rightfully should be making. And and they're also the ones, I mean, not even from a rights standpoint, but just from a practical standpoint, they're the ones who are going to be most aware of what the risk is and also accountable for any, you know, if, if, if there is harm done, they're the ones who bear the costs of that. So to me, that's, that would just get rid of the problem. And what's interesting is the demand for mandates are all, all coming from legislatures. And they're not really coming from the legislatures. They're coming from the pharmaceutical industry, which is paying legislators to propose this legislation and then um, go out and get support for it and, and you know, get, get all the other legislators behind it. And I think to, to tie that back into cannabis is that we see that in the in the cannabis world as well, oh, yeah. where oh, yeah. in the states where we're trying to get, I'm in Texas, and we don't have mm. access to legal cannabis. Mm. And so in the states where I mean, you're fighting an uphill battle because you're fighting against politicians that get large campaign contributions from the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, and, and they don't like competition. Exactly, exactly. So so these same companies that we despise when it comes to influencing legislation regarding whether or not we can choose to use cannabis as medicine or for whatever other purposes we want to use that particular substance for, but we give them a free pass when it comes to vaccine legislation mm-hmm. and everybody jumps on the bandwagon with the legislators and say, oh yeah, you you totally need to force those people to inject stuff into their mm-hmm. body and into the bodies of their children. Yeah. And I think that's because of a really successful and well-funded PR campaign that's been going on for decades. Um, the first I remember, well, I mean, it's been going on longer than I've been watching it, but the first I remember was the Law & Order episode where the parents were sued because their unvaccinated child gave another child measles. I mean, how they determined that, I don't even know. Um, and so they they were sued for recklessness or, or negligence or something because it, it was the first time I saw someone being held accountable for not being vaccinated, as if, va- if, as if being not vaccinated was a crime. And so there's been this massive, and it's, it's huge. I mean, if you once you start looking at the news coverage in the mainstream press of vaccines, it's it, it's mind-boggling. I mean, it will completely blow your mind um, that it's it's most of it is. I'm not can't even say most of it. All of it is pure propaganda. It's just PR talking points. It's repeating the same thing over and over again. Vaccines are safe and effective. Vaccines don't cause autism. Um, and then the narrative: you're irresponsible if you don't vaccinate. You know, you owe it to the people around you. So there's been this huge narrative being pushed for years. And I think you know, as with most things, probably as with cannabis too, 
if you don't take the time to look at it yourself, you know, chances are most people are just going to buy into it. Most people Mm -hmm. will just accept it because that's what they're hearing. Um, I just did a piece that's somewhat related. I just wrote an article on lewrockwell.com about an NBC piece where the whole the whole premise of the of the article is this was about a woman whose child had died from the flu after she had not presumably not given him Tamiflu. Um, the whole thing was premised on the idea that, you know, Tamiflu is the right thing to do for your child if he has the flu. Well, it turns out that's not true. There's actually no evidence for that. And in the same article, they're, you know, demeaning these natural remedies that other parents were recommending. Well, the fact is those natural remedies, the the specific ones that the reporter mentioned, um, actually have scientific evidence for their efficacy. So what's going on in the mainstream press has, has nothing to do with the facts or the truth of the matter. It's all PR. It's just on, on this issue. It's, it's pure PR. But again, if you're not looking closely yourself you know, digging into act to, to their statements, I think most people are just going to accept that. And it's been a very effective PR campaign. Well, and I, and I think we've seen that with cannabis because for mm-hmm. 80 years, our government has told us this plant has no medicinal properties whatsoever. Right. And, and anybody and who uses madness. it, exactly. Anybody who uses this plant needs to be thrown in a cage. Mm-hmm. And they were very effective in getting out that message. But to me, I, I think it's backfiring because you know, I was a child of the the dare the nineteen eighties. Uh-huh. Just say no, yep. and yep. the dare program, and you know, this is a horrible thing. You're gonna go crazy and kill your mother with an axe, right? And now I'm thinking to myself, and I think a lot of people kind of find themselves in the same position. It's like, okay, if if the government has lied to me for eighty years about a plant, a plant. What else are they lying to me about? And so it's caused me to have a lot of skepticism about anything coming out of their mouths. And I I wouldn't necessarily categorize myself as a conspiracy theorist, but it's like if they're going to lie about a plant, what else are they willing to lie about? Mm -hmm. And so I, and even some other people, I spoke to a lady the other day in Scotland, and we kind of brought this up, and and she even mentioned vaccines specifically. She said, well... You know, if they lied about this, are they lying about vaccines? And so it's caused me. Now, I I will go ahead and and give the caveat that my son, as of, I don't know, seven or eight, was fully vaccinated. And I don't know what Mm. vaccines he's supposed to have now that he's 10. Mm. Um, Good. Right. Um, And he never had any adverse reactions. But, I mean, he's got the, he's rarely sick. I mean, in the the time that, that he's been with us, he's only been sick like, you know, I can count on one hand the number of days he's actually been ill and not gone to gone to do normal normal functions. I am on a quest now to to learn more before I inject this next vaccine into my child. Yeah, I, I want to learn more you. about it. And um, you know, I've never you know had a flu vaccine myself because I don't like needles. <laughs> and I've known so many people that have gotten a flu vaccine and then they still get the flu. Because yeah. they chose the wrong strain this year to vaccinate against. It's it's notoriously ineffective. And yeah. there are also studies showing that if you get the flu vaccine one year, you're more likely to be hospitalized for respiratory problems in following years. So I don't see any reason ever to get it. Um, again, you know, everyone has to look, to look at the evidence themselves. But what's being pushed in the media is, and by you know, pharmacies and, and doctor's offices and all this is nothing more than propaganda. Yeah. And just my own personal experience with the flu is kind of like, well, no, I'm not going to do that because 
like I said, I've just seen too many people that got the flu shot. My sister-in-law mm-hmm. is one of them. She's a school nurse. And I'm, 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 I think she was required to get the flu shot by her job. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she still wound up with flu A. And right. then my other sister-in-law, who's also a school nurse, she ended up, I don't know, she... I don't know if she got the flu shot. I know she has. Um, anyway, I'm not going to go into it. She probably don't want me telling her <laughs> medical business. So uh, I think she got the flu as well. And and then I had said, oh, you better take some Tamiflu because I've always heard these wonderful things about Tamiflu, how it mm. shortens the length of the flu. And she's like, no, that I'm, not, I'm not taking that stuff because it doesn't work. And mm. I mean, I, I was like yeah. taken aback, like what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work, and it's got some kind of scary side effects too. And that's what she had mentioned because she yeah. has some some medical issues that could this Tamiflu could cause complications with that. Yeah. And uh, so I was taken aback by the fact because I'd always heard Tamiflu is a, a miracle drug, and that you know the minute you get the flu, you should take it, and you won't get the full blown flu. And and the people who make Tamiflu are now being sued by whistleblowers because they falsified that information. They actually had articles like PR pieces written up to show that there there was efficacy where there wasn't. Um, and by virtue of that, they got governments to pay, I think, billions of dollars to stock up on Tamiflu. And now wow. these whistleblowers are coming out saying, well, actually, that information was false and uh, the efficacy wasn't there. And you guys, you know, you bilked these governments out of all this money. And so, they're, yeah, they're being sued now. That's interesting. And that leads me to a couple of questions that and if you can't answer it, it's okay. Sure. Um, yeah. My first question is, who makes Tamiflu? And then the second question is, do those so- same people that make Tamiflu also make flu vaccines? Um, so Hoffman LaRoche makes Tamiflu. And uh, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if there's a connection. Um, because that would be a pretty question. sweet deal. It's like, okay, you got to oh, take this, yeah. this flu yeah. shot and you think you're, you know, now you're bulletproof against the flu and then no, you get the flu anyway. And so now we're going to say a Tamiflu. Right. Right. <laughs> After the flu yeah, shot failed. You know, I don't actually know if, if Hoffman, La Roche, yeah, Hoffman LaRoche makes a flu vaccine. I should know that. Um, pretty sure GSK is, I can look it up here. Um, but yeah, that's a good question. Um, Because that would be one heck of a one heck yeah. of a money making scheme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's sell them a flu shot that didn't work, and then sell, well, and, and then sell them a medication that doesn't work on top of that. Yeah, well, and that's that's one of the things that um, you know one of one of the arguments that Dell and others make um, is that about about vaccines is that we've seen so in 1986 that's when vaccine manufacturers were granted liability. Yeah, tell um, tell us more about that because. I I was not aware that vaccine manufacturers had zero like zero liability, correct? Pretty much zero. So I think there there is a clause whereby if you can prove intent or something, you know, something at a at a really a really high level of of culpability that you can then take them to court to to okay. an actual court. But you um, have to actually I, prove that they were doing this maliciously, which is a very high like bar. That. Yeah. Yeah. Something well, tell like us, that. Yeah. Tell us more about that 1986 legislation because a lot of people may not be familiar with it and I know I wasn't until a few years ago when I started asking these additional questions. So, see so if you can kind of tell us more about that. 
Yeah. So, and, and, you know, I'm no expert on this at all, but just, just basically what had happened was the DPT vaccine um, had caused a lot of problems and was eventually taken off the market and replaced with the DTaP, actually the, the DTaP and then the Tdap, but basically replacing a live vaccine with an attenuated vaccine. I think because of that, there's probably more to the story than that. But the pharmaceutical companies basically went to the government and said, you know, we can't, we're, we're at such risk of liability that we're worried we're not going to be able to produce vaccines anymore. Please help us. And so in 1986, um, legislation was signed into action called the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. And basically what that meant was it, it created, so it created a fund and that's, that fund is funded by, it's not a tax. It's like a, I guess you could call it a tax. It's, it's an additional charge on each vaccine that parents pay. And that goes into this fund that then pays out for damages. So if let's, let's say you believe your child was, was injured by a vaccine, you then have to go to what's called um, vaccine court and make your case and it's very, very, it's hostile, it's difficult, and it's not just people who are critical of vaccines who are saying that. So in, let me see if I can find this, in 2015, a scholar from Stanford actually studied this. They actually wrote, wrote a paper about the vaccine injury compensation program. So basically what this, this Stanford scholar found was, and I'll quote from, from this article about it too, um, the bottom line is that the vaccine injury compensation program was supposed to offer simple justice to vaccine injured children, but it has largely failed to do so, wrote Stanford law professor Nora Freeman Engstrom in her research article. So basically she, what she describes is what um, advocates of, of vaccine, of medical freedom have been talking about for years. It's a hostile program. It's ve- They make it very difficult for anybody to get through to the point to where they can actually make a claim. Um, uh, She says, the results are discouraging, despite initial optimism in Congress and beyond that such a fund could resolve claims efficiently and amicably. In operation, the program has been astonishingly slow and surprisingly combative. And she goes on, you know, you can look at the article and then look at her report as well. I don't think anybody looking at this system would say, oh, yes, this is a a legitimate way. This is an effective way of making the vaccine manufacturers um, accountable or, or, or of in any way protecting people from whatever damage, you know, they, they might suffer from vaccines. The other issue, and people throw different numbers around, I'm not going to commit to an actual number, but I'll just say what I know about what's known about this. The other issue is that the VAERS, so it starts with a VAERS report, a vaccine adverse effect reporting system. And it's notoriously underreported. So most doctors, when they're confronted with something that might be a vaccine injury, even if the parent says, hey, I think this is a vaccine injury, most doctors blow it off. Most doctors, you know, insist that it's not. And very, very few will report it. So um, now there's just for clarification, that's the portal where these yes. vaccine injuries are supposed to be reported. Yes, they're supposed to be reported. And is that something that parents self-report or do they have to rely on their 
practitioner to do that. So you can self-report. In fact, that's one of the criticisms the, the pro-vaxxers are always saying, well, you know, anybody can just report anything they want to theirs, so it's full of all this extra nonsense. Well, the reality is that's not true. When you look at who is reporting, most of the reports are coming from doctors and medical professionals. Some are coming from the pharmaceutical companies. The last time I checked, 7% were coming from either parents or caregivers. So a very small number of what's getting reported is actually coming from parents. You can do it. Most mm -hmm. people don't know about it, and most doctors who, who should know about it aren't using it. So there have been a bunch of different numbers thrown around. Some people talk about 1% of adverse events are reported. That's more a number for drugs as a whole, and there is, there is a study indicating that there are other studies showing is that the one that harvard did the one person no. report so it's actually not that report that report references that number it okay. it, it um re it repeats it but it didn't find that number okay um, i think what that's referring to is another study um and i don't have that up right now but it's i can actually i can send you the link for that as well okay um because that's it's it's an older uh, study that looked at drug drug interactions as a whole. So it wasn't just for vaccines. But um, studies that have looked at reporting for vaccines have found anywhere between 15%. Um, I think the highest... Uh, I think the highest I saw was like 40%. Um, so there's... it's it, No one disputes that these numbers are, are very much underreported. Mm -hmm. um, and and in addition to those studies, there are also surveys that have been done of doctors' practices and finding out how, you know, how many suspected vaccine injuries get reported. And it's, again, it's small numbers. So it is underreported. I don't think anyone has an accurate number as to how much it's underreported. Now, uh, as far as vaccine court goes, is there a cap on how much a parent or person can get for a vaccine injury? There is, and I should know that off the top of my head, and I don't. I'm going to know. You know what? I, I don't know. I don't know what the cap is. I don't want to say a number. I'm just thinking. Um, but yes, there is a cap. There okay. is a cap. It seems like I heard 250,000, but I don't know if that's an accurate number at all because I haven't researched it myself. Yeah, and I would need to look into that because I've heard of cases where where uh, parents were awarded more than that. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure how that happened, and I'm probably not the the right person to talk. I I would need to dig in and find out exactly what's so about. Yes, there is a cap, but I'm not sure it's a hard and fast cap. And um, yeah, I just I don't want to I don't want to comment on on the number because I don't I'm not 100% sure of exactly okay. what's going on there. Do you, and you may not know this either, and if you don't, yeah. that's fine. Do you know what the total that's been paid out since this fund was created? Yeah, so it's over $4 billion. I don't think I have a current number in front of me. I can, let me just see if, I'm just looking if there's a, to see if there's an up-to-date precise number, but it's it's over $4 billion. And again, you know, keep in mind, this is $4 billion being paid out within a system that really tries to screen out as many people as it can. Um, it's not addressing every injury. It's not acknowledging every in injury. You know, even that $4 billion is not really, it's, it's, it's no indication at all of, you know, the degree of, of vaccine injury. And is there a, a time limit on how long people have to go and yes. report these vaccine injuries? I believe it's still three years. Um, 
unless that's changed again i'm not i'm not an expert on on this law last i checked it was three years and i haven't heard otherwise okay i wanted to go back and just kind of bring to people's attention how this fund is funded and Mm -hmm. it doesn't sound like the pharmaceutical company pays anything into this fund that it's all funded by people who are paying additional tax on what their vaccines cost is that correct I believe so. Again, I'm not an expert on on this law. It may be that the pharmaceutical industry is is paying some small portion of it. My understanding is that it's paid by a dollar amount on each vaccine that is given. And so it's the the parent or the insurance company that's paying that. There may be more to it than that. So again, I don't want to I don't want to say yes that's absolutely correct there's nothing else going on but that's that's my that's what I believe as a liberty minded person if you remove financial accountability from the <laughs> equation on these big corporations which we're told constantly are evil and only concerned about their bottom line if you remove any financial impetus for them to make vaccines as safe as humanly possible it seems like you're just creating a monster. It's kind of the definition of moral hazard. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's completely a monster. It's bizarre to me, I guess because more people don't understand, don't realize that this law even exists. But what's bizarre is that more liberty-minded people aren't really, that this isn't raising a huge red flag for them. Because, yeah, it's it's creating this protected zone where they really, there's nothing to stop them from and you know add to that you know their their links with the CDC and the WHO and the FDA you know they've they've bought the regulatory agencies you know it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine a less libertarian setup or a less um you know friendly to freedom setup than what's going on with the pharmaceutical industry but yeah it's it really absolves them of any any incentive to be worried about the effects of their products. Yeah, and then you couple that with what we're seeing is increasing legislation coming out of states. I don't think there's any national push yet for mandatory vaccines, or is there? there? Been, Maybe I'm yeah, there have been noises. I think there was one bill, uh, I don't remember who put it forward, but there is one bill out there. There's There are definitely noises about making it national, but it's it's doesn't seem to be as serious a threat as the state-by-state state, um, legislation. Well, and that, that to me is, is terrifying to think mm-hmm. that the government can tell me what I have to inject into my child. I've got yeah. a friend who lives in New York, yeah, and her daughter was supposed to start school this fall. Right. And like right before school started, New York passed this new mandate that kids mm-hmm. had to be vaccinated. Now, I will tell you, this is a family that I've known since... I was a teenager and they were one of the only families I knew their, their dad is a medical doctor and they're like the only people I knew that even back in the eighties, early eighties, they were not vaccinated Wow! and their dad was a medical doctor. So they've got like a a family tradition of not vaccinating. And then they, they um, moved to New York state because of uh, her husband's job and her daughter was supposed to start attending school. And then they, they changed this. Now, are you familiar with the New York law? Is it everyone or do they allow some medical exemptions for kids who have had vaccine injuries in the past? Here's how the medical exemptions things 
thing works. You know, this is this is another part of the deception that they're that you know the industry is trying to perpetrate because and have and have done very well have 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 carried off this this deception very well. So I'll first talk about California because that's I'm I'm more familiar with that and it's it's okay. pretty much it's pretty much the same thing in New York. I think there are there may be some differences, but essentially what happened in California was so there were two bills in California. The the one um, in 2015, SB 277, removed the personal belief exemption. And the whole argument then on the part of the politicians who were pushing this was, well, you can still get a medical exemption. Don't worry. You can always get a medical exemption. And in fact, my understanding is that before that bill passed, medical exemptions had to be limited to basically the standards set by the CDC and ASIP, the, the advisory body on, on um, immunizations. And when SB 277 passed, Senator Pan, who was who wrote the bill, who was behind the bill and was its biggest proponent, and it also receives tons of money from the pharmaceutical industry, he said very explicitly, there will be no limits on what a doctor, this is between you and your doctor, there will be no limits on what a doctor can say is a legitimate exemption. Almost as soon as that bill passed, and this is a great example of how the political system is in sort of lockstep, if not direct control of the media, almost immediately you started seeing stories in the California press about how parents were using this loophole of medical exemptions and how we had to go after these medical exemptions because parents were using it as an excuse not to vaccinate their kids. Mm -hmm. So just last year, they passed SB 276, which it makes the medical exemption, it restricts it so much as to make it basically impossible to get. So even for kids who have a history of, of being injured by these vaccines... Yeah, for for quite a lot of them, essentially. And I I did a post on this a while ago, you know, showing on one side. And, and so what, what's interesting about this is that the the CDC. So they're going by the CDC recommendations, which is very very narrow. So it's like yes, if you've suffered an anaphylactic severe anaphylactic reaction to a vaccine, um, to a particular vaccine, then you can get an exemption for that vaccine. You still have to get all the other vaccines. And if you suffered, say, seizures or something from another vaccine, too bad, you still have to get it. So it makes the criteria so narrow and not only narrow, but in defiance of what the FDA itself says about these vaccines. So you can look at look at the manufacturer's you know, reports on, on adverse events for this vaccine, look at the FDA site where it lists adverse events for, the, for these vaccines. And in some cases, it says this vaccine is contraindicated if you have a history of such and such reaction to a similar vaccine or if you have seizures or, or you know, whatever it is, there are acknowledged adverse events to certain vaccines that do not qualify for a person for an exemption under the California law because the California law says, no, it has to meet the CDC and ACIP requirements for what constitutes a, a contraindication. And it's, it's so narrow. The other thing though, other than, other than the law that, that makes it so narrow as to be almost meaningless is that even before that law passed the state of California and, or I should say the city of San Francisco and um, the state licensing boards started persecuting doctors who were giving medical exemptions. So these are doctors who were perfectly within the law 
granting medical exemptions and the state started going after them. So they've created such a hostile environment. Part of SB 276, by the way, also is that any doctor who gives more than five exemptions will automatically be investigated. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so much for it being between you and your doctor. Exactly. No, that's the complete, that was a complete lie. And, you know, as, as with everything else in politics, you know, politicians who make bald-faced lies like that suffer no consequences for Mm -hmm. it. So that was sort of the progression of what happened in California. Um, It's similar in New York. Now, let me, let me go back for just a sec. Now, Mm -hmm. that law, is that for everyone or is that just for anyone who wants their child to attend public school it's for anyone who wants their child to attend any school or okay daycare. so they don't even they don't even get it uh get a carve out for private school no no wow no in fact they're in new jersey as their legislation was being amended they initially said well we're gonna we're gonna carve out an exception for um, for private schools. Private schools, you know, don't have to do this, or it's not going to be as as onerous. And there was such an outcry because that was discriminatory, and and then that that didn't pass. But that's the first time I've heard of there being a distinction between public and private. Everywhere else in the country, this is law. It's it's the um, I guess it's the Department of Education. It it applies to all schools, public, private, daycare. Wow. Yeah. So it's yeah, you can't get away from it. And so just in the, in the same way that we saw the press starting to go after medical exemptions as soon as the previous law had passed, we're now starting to see the press go after homeschoolers. Well, that's terrifying. I, I homeschool. And one of the reasons I homeschool is because, well, I think my son is getting a better quality education, but I also want le- less government involvement in my life. So what is their plan to enforce this on homeschoolers? I don't know. I'm my my guess is that they're gonna in the next year or so, at least in, in California. And you know, California sort of leads the way in tyranny in this country, mm-hmm. so expect to see it elsewhere. But um, you know, they're they're talking about now. So whereas before it was parents using the medical exemption um, as a loophole uh, to get to get around the vaccine requirement, now they're using homeschooling as a loophole. So what they're describing the law itself as a loophole, you know, what was, pr- what was promised to them, you know, the medical exemptions, what was promised to them explicitly is now a loophole. So yeah, so, so I fully expect, you know, we're, we're looking at property elsewhere. I fully expect to see them try to go after homeschoolers in California and, and elsewhere too, and adults as well. So um, you can cut this out if you want. This gets into the science just a little bit, but no, it's fine. I, I don't mind doing a little science. I just don't want it to be a, yeah, a totally yeah, yeah. science-based approach. I just want to kind of yeah. approach it from the yeah, perspective I mean, I, of medical freedom and bodily autonomy. Right, and I think the rights argument is more. You know, sadly, it doesn't it doesn't appeal to as many people. But I think it's more critical. It's it's that's what's under assault. What's really under assault are our most basic fundamental rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say about the herd immunity argument is, you know, the argument is that, well, we've got to have 95% of the population vaccinated in order to achieve herd immunity. What's crazy about that is that they're only talking about children. So we don't have 95% of the population vaccinated. Probably some of the estimates I've seen, be, because, so let's just talk about measles, because that's what they want everybody to freak out about. Even, right. It, even though it's a very mild illness in developed countries, the measles vaccine wanes over time. Mm-hmm. Most people as adults 
will not have any, you know, first of all, let's assume it was, it was protective in the first place. It's not protective for everybody. The primary vaccine failure is when it just doesn't work on you. Secondary vaccine failure is when maybe it worked for a while, but 10, 12, 15 years down the line, you're not getting any protection from that anymore. So how many adults do you know who have been, you know, vaccinated for the measles in the last five, 10, 15 years? Not very many. Yeah. So more than likely, it's the number is at least 50%, probably more like 60 or 75% of adults who are quote unquote unvaccinated. Now add to that all the vaccines that have been added to the schedule, um, starting mostly around 1986 conveniently, all the other vaccines that you and I didn't get as kids. So, you know, I was vaccinated. I, I had maybe, I don't know, I'd have to go look at my records, maybe six or eight, maybe 10 vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, the numbers now, it's it's more like, it's like, depending on, you know, exactly which ones you get, it's like 60 to 70 vaccines that a kid gets mm-hmm. before, they're, before they're 16. Yeah, um, I think that's one of the things that surprised me because I was mm-hmm. uh, a foster mom for a while mm-hmm. and I had some little babies that, we fostered and they were not current on vaccines. Mm. And so, I mean, and they were like tiny, they were preemie babies and they were two or three months old. So they weighed maybe six pounds, Mm. you know, a piece. Well, (laughs) they caught them all up on all their vaccines like that same day. And those little girls were just like little pin cushions. And they, they ran fever, but there weren't any of the adverse side effects that you sometimes hear about. But I just, I had no clue that they were going to give that many shots to those little girls. They just, um, yeah, it's. And the things that they vaccinate for now, like, don't they vaccinate for chicken pox now? Yeah. So there's a chicken pox vaccine. Um, which I could go into a whole story about that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and, and so the other part of it, which I won't go into detail about this, but things like chicken pox and measles, there's there's a good argument to be made that in some ways those vaccines have actually made things worse. Because for example, with me, with the measles vaccine, they've, they've made the case fatality rate worse. Because whereas before, um, Infants would be protected because their mothers had had it as children, and so they were able to pass on the antibodies through breast milk. Now, if you've got a whole generation of mothers who mostly didn't have it, mm-hmm. then they're not passing on that that immunity to infants. Infants are are infants, and the elderly are are kind of the most at risk groups, you know, for measles. They're the ones for whom it's the most deadly, and there are numbers to back this up. The incidence of measles deaths in infants and the elderly has has gone up since the vaccine. So the burden of the disease has been shifted from the sort of the healthiest part of the population to get it, which is young children, mm-hmm. to infants who aren't getting it now from from breast milk. And the elderly, because their vaccines worn off and now they're they don't they don't get lifelong immunity anymore. So there are there are and again, I won't go into great detail with all of that, but there are arguments to be made for how the vaccine has actually harmed us in terms of exposure to those diseases. Because just having the vaccine doesn't put the antibodies in your body for life, correct? Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't right. have no medical. But you, yes, know, you said that doesn't. they don't pass the antibodies along to the babies in breast milk. Because they're no longer, um, so it gets it gets the body to produce antibodies for a while, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't have the ability to produce those antibodies for life. Basically, okay. it, it's yeah. So, you know, someone might get lucky enough and 
it works on them until they're 70. But generally with measles, and I'm sorry, I don't have the number in front of me for this either, but it's something like 10 to 15 years, I think, that on average that that um, whatever whatever benefits it confers last. If vaccines aren't effective long term, then why are I mean, there, I guess there's the option of running a titer to see if you uh-huh. still have the antibodies in your body. Uh-huh. Why isn't there more of a push for adults get a, a second or third round of vaccines like in their mid, middle ages or whatever? That's starting. There is um, there is sort of more of a push that you you see like the who talking about it more. And there are, you know, more adult vaccines coming on the market there. I, I don't remember when the the latest adult MMR. One thing they found, though, is that with the adult MMR, repeated boosters don't really have the effects that they they don't they don't really boost you that much. So it's, it's hard for them to defend that on on scientific grounds. But I fully expect. I don't know if you saw there was an article just this last week, I think, uh, written by a consortium of of educational institutions and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and among others, saying in the context of Corona, airplanes are such a petri dish of, of infection, we shouldn't allow the unvaccinated to fly. Mm-hmm. And I fully expect, in fact, in, uh, was it Argentina? I think Argentina recently passed a law that you can't get a driver's license unless you can show your vaccination records. The EU is talking about that for passports. So it's it's already happening. I mean, there is a push to start mandating vaccination for adults. And it's not clear what that would mean, because again, the adults living today got nothing like the schedule that kids now are getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think when adults, you know, even the ones who aren't paying attention, if they're faced with the reality of, okay, here are your 72 shots, come and get them, I think there's going to be a lot of questioning at that point. But it is, it is coming. They are pushing for it. And I would expect to see more of that in, in the near future. I find it pretty terrifying that they're going to tie vaccinations to your ability to get a driver's license, which you have to have in order to drive, or to get a passport, which limits your ability to travel around the world. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a gross overstep of government authority, I think. My hope is that it gets people to call into question the very institution of an entity that can dictate who gets to travel and who doesn't. Again, I think people don't question most people, unless, you know, unless you're like one of us crazy libertarians, you don't question violations of your rights unless mm-hmm. they have a direct impact on your life. And if someone is standing over you, if, you know, if someone says, okay, you've got to renew your driver's license every year. Okay. That's no big deal. I'll send in yeah. the fee, blah, blah, blah. But if it's okay, you now have to inject all this stuff into your body before you can get a driver's license. That I think is going to cause a lot more people to wake up. And I don't just mean wake up to the vaccine issue, mm-hmm. but wake up to the whole idea of, Hey, who, who are these people who think they get to tell us who can drive and who can't, who can travel out of the country and who can't, you know, wh- how did this happen? And who are, you know, and who are these people sitting up in Sacramento that get a you know, sit around and vote on how we live our lives and whether we can use plastic straws or not and <laughs> all this stuff because, you know, most people don't question that. But we're we're getting to the point where it's really starting to affect people on a personal level. And I think you have to start questioning sort of the underlying institution that makes that possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think because I was, you know, this is a this is an area where there's a lot of debate 
And even some liberty-minded people still completely, totally buy into the vaccine schedule, which is yeah. fine. You know, that's that's everybody's choice to make. Should but be. Kinda, yeah, exactly. It, yeah, you should have the ability to make that decision. But one of the one of the arguments or, I guess, one of the explanations, I guess, for why people aren't more curious or wanting to know more, you know, childhood vaccinations have been around forever. And we're told how wonderful they are and how we'd all be dead if, if it weren't for them. Right. You know, we all learn that in school. Just like, you know, pasteurized milk is so much better for us. It's it's just kind of part of life. It's normal yeah, to have are, childhood vaccines. Yeah. And when the government starts d- requiring adult vaccinations, then I think I think you're right. I think a lot of people are going to go, no, wait, wait, what? <laughs> adult vaccines? What? Yeah. My parents never had adult vaccines other than the flu shot every year. Right. And there's so much skepticism about the flu shot, and rightly so, mm-hmm. that... I think people are already sort of primed to kind of balk at that. But the other thing people don't realize is that, you know, yeah, childhood vaccines have been around for a long time, but it was really around the same time that the makers of those vaccines got their immunity from liability that the schedule really started to explode. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is when you look at the explosion in that, in the number of vaccines that people are getting, that kids are getting, and compare it to the number of kids with chronic health conditions, they're both rising at the same, at the, not, I don't want to say at the same rate, but they're both rising together. So. Yeah, I saw a, and and I'll post a link to this in the, in the show notes for today, but I saw, I'm actually looking at a picture because I was watching a, another video, just again, just trying to learn more. And they had a chart that says the number of childhood vaccine injections administered. In 1986, there were 11 mm-hmm. on the schedule. Mm-hmm. By 2017, that number was 54. Mm-hmm. And then they also have, on that same thing, they've got this uh, chronic childhood illness and developmental delay, disability yeah. prevalence. Yeah. In 1986, it was 12.8%. Right. Versus 2011, where it's 54%. So it's almost yeah. like a... Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, they, not that not that correlation is causation, but, exactly. you know, it is a little the alarming. Yeah, the correlation is there, though. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is alarming. And it's just kind of crazy to me. It's, again, the sort of the PR push or the media push is to sort of normalize this these chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't you can't ask the question whether vaccines are related to autism because they crucified Wakefield. And I could do a whole episode on that too. You know, they crucified him for asking that question. I watched the Vaxxed documentary. And and I think what Wakefield was saying is not that we shouldn't give MMR vaccinations, but that maybe we should split them out exactly. and make them separate vaccines. Yeah. But everybody conflates that with him saying, oh no, we should stop vaccinating. And that's not at all the argument I heard him making. Right. It, it wasn't. And the paper never said that, that the MMR causes autism. It says we've we've seen this association. And I mean, it was a case study. It was what, 12 kids. It wasn't right. You know, a, a randomized, it, you know, he, basically what it said is we need to do more. We need to we need to look further. We see this association and more study is needed. And when he spoke publicly about it, he said, you know, just to be safe, let's break it up. Let's not give it all together. And interestingly, so he was in he was in the UK at that same time, the UK government stopped allowing the monovalent measles, mumps, and rubella vaccines to be imported into into England. So you didn't have a choice anymore. The government basically man- mandated, just like, I mean, I, 
I'm sure that's how it is here now. You know, you can't get tetanus by itself. You can't get, I don't think you can, there's any way to get measles by itself. So the government removed that choice. He was saying, hey, let's, to be safe, let's do these separately. And the government wouldn't allow it. Wow. And then that story, it's, it's just funny because that story is then used to say, well, because of because of what Andrew Wakefield said, parents in America stopped vaccinating or, or you know, really declined. The MMR uptake really declined. And that's why we're having these outbreaks now. Well, it didn't decline. If mm-hmm. you look at the CDC numbers, it's actually there was a little dip right before the, his paper came out. And I mean, a tiny dip from like, what was it, like n- 91% to like 89% or something. Um, but it's held steady between 91, 94%, it has not, it it didn't go down after that. The Mm -hmm. MMR uptake in this country did not go down. So it's just an, it's another example of how there's this PR push based oftentimes on flat out lies to, to push this agenda. And again, if, if you don't look yourself, if you don't look closely, you know, a lot of people believe that that's what happened, that this paper came out questioning vaccines and the role, you know, vaccines role in autism. All of a sudden, lots of parents stopped vaccinating. And now we're having these big outbreaks in America. Well, that's not what happened. What are some good sources for people who are vaccine oh curious? <laughs> okay. What oh. are some reliable sources that don't necessarily have a motive or they haven't chosen a side? Or do those places even exist? I don't, I mean, I would say the places to look that don't have a side are are some of the studies, are the scientists. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at the actual science, yes, some of it is is influenced by the pharmaceutical industry. Some of it is, you know, BS science. Some of it's obviously, you know, pushing an agenda, but some of it's not. And I would, so it, it's a tough question because people are always asking me, you know, where do I go to look? There's not like one source. I would start with the people who are questioning vaccines mm-hmm. and then look at their sources. So go to go to childrenshealthdefense.org. They've got a lot of research up there. They've got a lot of paper, they've got a lot of their own work. Um, go to ICANN, um, Dell Big Trees Organization. Um, I think that the link is ICANN decide, I-C-A-N decide.org. Again, they have a they have a bunch of research published. They have a bunch of papers, articles on on different topics. And look, I I can also recommend a couple of journals. Like Jeremy Hammond is doing uh-huh. a great job. He, as a journalist, is covering the issue very very well. And what I would say is, you know, don't trust anyone's opinion about this. Don't don't just believe what Del yeah. Tree says or what RFK says or what Jeremy says or what I say. Don't just believe what we're saying about the issue, look at the sources we cite and go there. And then, you know what, compare that, go to, um, so if you really want to find out, I think you've you've got to look at what both sides are saying. So go to skeptical Raptor, um, and find out what he says about, but don't just take, again, don't just take his word for it. Look at his sources, look at Mm -hmm. what, you know, does what he say makes sense? Do the, do the studies he links to actually say what he says they say they're saying that kind of thing. I would start there. I would start with childrenshealthdefense.org, icandecide.org, Jeremy Hammond, and then compare what they're saying to like Skeptical Raptor. There are some great books out I don't think you're going to find anyone who's writing about vaccines who doesn't have a position. The closest thing that that 
that sort of that comes close to that would be um, what your doctor, I think it's called what your doctor won't tell you about vaccines. It's not anti-vaccine. It's just acknowledging that there are adverse effects from them and looking at what's, if you're, if you're going to vaccinate, what's, you know, what's the safest way of doing it? Well, if folks want to follow you, where is a good place to find you on the www? Um, so I, I, probably my, my blog, it's, uh, www.bretney, weird name. It's www.bretigne.com. Also, um, if you want to read my children's book, which I just published, um, Annabelle Pickering and the Sky Pirates, which is, it's all about freedom and, and freedom of information and, and of speech and freedom to research. And so it, it, it's not about vaccines, but it ties in. I just want to give it a plug because it does, it does tie into the sort of the liberty and the sort of freedom of information, freedom of, of speech issues. Um, but basically go to, uh, my blog is probably the best place. I'm also, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I try not to spend too much time on them. Um, I'm on, um, think spot, which is just getting started. That's, that's basically it. But I would say just, uh, go to my blog. Well, I will be sure and put that on today's show notes. Great. I mean, the thing the the correlation to me between this issue and cannabis is that Mm -hmm. when we try to bring up the science to our legislators, the legislators say, oh, well, there's no, there's no science. Mm -hmm. And, and then when you try to bring up, you know, potential issues with, with vaccines, I mean, because nothing, no, what I've learned in in learning about cannabis is that nobody's body responds the exact same way. That's the other thing, yeah. As the next person. And so for for somebody to say, oh, no, the science is settled, vaccines don't cause any injury. Well, theirs is is a pretty good indication that that's not completely accurate. And then the fact that the vaccine court is paying out money is also an indication that it's, it's not, that's not accurate to say that vaccines are safe and effective or at least vaccines are safe, you know, so I think parents should, should be able to ask questions and not be made fun of or called ignorant or stupid, or you want your kids to die just because they ask questions. I mean, at at this point I'm, I'm questioning everything. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you have to, especially, especially when there's a multi-billion dollar industry pushing an agenda, you know, it'd be crazy not to ask questions. I find it appalling that, you know, we have access to this information because we live in a digitally connected world. So people that live in first world countries have the option to go out and do this research. But when you live in Africa. Oh, my God. Yeah. Where you don't yeah. have electricity, you don't even have running water. And these people show up and they say, hey, this is going to help you and your kids. You can't even research to see if what they're telling right. you is true. Right. Well, and so I think they're just taking advantage of people who aren't educated and have no ability to educate themselves on this topic. Yeah, they really are. In fact, there was just um, I'll I'll send you Jeremy's piece on this, too. It just came out that the WHO was testing a malaria vaccine on people, some people in Africa without informed consent. And that there was and that there were deaths. Yeah, it's 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 an ugly situation, you know, something that they couldn't get away with in America other than by mandating vaccines and then seeing, you know, how things play out. But yeah, that's exactly true. I mean, that's just beyond the pale to go and take advantage of Mm -hmm. some of the most economically disadvantaged people in the on the face of the planet and let's just go experiment on them because right. nobody's going to find out about it. Right. Right. I'll probably, I'll probably delete this out because <laughs> I'm getting a little off the rails here. Yeah. Yeah. But it, that's true, but it's also true. 
Well, Brittany, I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this issue. Like I said, I, I don't I don't know the science and I can't go out and pretend that I know the science or but what I will tell people is to ask questions and there's nothing wrong with asking questions. You're not a freak show and you're not endangering your child by asking questions about what people are injecting into them. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thanks again for all the information. I I hope I hope maybe this has been a discussion that that people won't automatically recoil and in, in horror about yeah. that I'm hoping that by approaching it from this aspect we can avoid all the emotional visceral responses that you have when you discuss this issue yeah and I'm happy to come on and deal with those responses too if that if okay you get, a, if you get a flood of hate mail or something I'm happy to come back and defend I've, I've been surprised because I think a lot of the people especially people with kids that I've talked to I think a lot of those people are are suspect or they know that a lot of their their children's underlying issues are as a cause of all these vaccines or feel like they're caused by that, these vaccines. I feel like people, a lot more people are becoming more skeptical. You know, even if they haven't had a a, a reaction with their own kids, it's like I just I get the sense that people are starting to wake up to sort of the corrupt nature of the whole setup and yeah. why are they pushing mandates and you know, just hopeful. I mean, you know, we're st still a small minority, but mm -hmm. I do feel like there's more questioning going on. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if they're so great, then you shouldn't have to pass laws forcing people to do it. And on top of that, I don't think, you know, from a natural rights perspective, the government doesn't have the authority to tell us what we have to inject into our body. No more than they have the authority to tell us, no, you can't smoke that plant or no, you can't eat that candy bar because it's got sugar in it. Right, right. If they can do that, if they can force you to inject something into your body, it's over. I mean, what can't they do? What can't they do at that point? Yeah, we have become complacent and, and put off a lot of our own personal responsibilities on the government. And I think that's the root cause of a lot of our problems is that yep. we, we think that it's the government's job to protect us. And it's really not. We need to take that. We need to take more personal responsibility for our own bodies, for our own health and our own freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Brittany. I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you. Alrighty. Bye. Show notes for today's episode can be found out at CannabisHealsMe.com slash 105. I am not sure if I will have an episode out come Monday. As most of you know, I, as most of you know, I am a certified public accountant by trade. And as you might suspect, since we're only three weeks away from the deadline... And as you might suspect, it's a little busy time. Yes, the IRS gave an extension, but for clients that I have who have paid in too much, they don't want to wait till July to get their money from the IRS. So I'm still in the process of trying to push out tax returns. And I don't know that I'm going to have time to get another episode edited and put out by Monday. If not, we will have an episode out Monday after next, and then I'll have a follow-up episode for you on that following Thursday. So if I'm not able to get out an episode this next week, we'll have two episodes out the following week. Hopefully, I'll be able to get some stuff done and be able to get an episode out to you on Monday. But if not, you know, I got to kind of do the job that pays the bills around here. And that is CPA, accounting and tax work. Hit the subscribe button and you'll never miss an episode of the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. 
If you enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever podcast app you're using. Do you have a suggestion for a guest on Cannabis Heals Me? Send an email to podcast at CannabisHealsMe.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Cannabis Heals Me or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. 